0: Welcome to McCullough Christian Center's broadcast today. If you would like more information about our church, please visit our website at www.purposemcc.com. I want you this morning, while you're still standing, or if you're not standing, if you'll stand with us, please. I want you to take your Bible and turn with me, please, to the book of 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 3. Thank you, worship team. And you guys did an awesome job. I, aren't you glad that you can come and you walk in, you got the the mully grubs, and you can walk into the worship. And it just leads you right into the presence of God. First Samuel chapter three. I want to begin reading with verse 1. Last Sunday we talked about, talked on the subject of emptiness. This is not one of those series of messages that I had pre-planned. But the more that I get into it and the more that I look at it, the more Holy Spirit speaks and directs me that this is a place that that we need to spend some time in. There's so much in this passage of scripture that I feel so strongly about to share with you. There's no way to do it this morning. So, uh, if you come back Wednesday night, we're going to get back on this, um, because I believe that it is a now word, I believe it's for now, I believe it's that God is, God is speaking uh, something now to those that, that will hear. And so I want to bring this message this morning uh, with the title, Can You Hear Me Now?, um, and it's and it's dealing with the call of Samuel. Last week we talked about how that the nation of Israel was in chaos. It was in chaos, and and the chaos had started, had begun uh, with Eli and Hopni and Phineas in First Samuel uh, chapter two and or one two and. And three, uh, and but the nation was in chaos, and uh, things were spiraling downward. And God began to move. And the amazing thing about God is that God did something through uh, a man named Elkanah, and it's something that we overlook a lot, uh, and and we don't pick up. On it a lot, but we focused a little bit of time on it last Sunday. How that Elkanah, because he loved his wife Hannah, he loved her deeply, and Hannah was barren and she wasn't able to bear children. And her adversary, or or, uh, Elkanah's second wife, was Peninnah, and and uh, Elkanah loved. Hannah because he watched her go through all the scorn and all the torment uh, from Penina. The Bible says that, that every time they would come to the temple and bring a sacrifice, that uh, Elkanah would give uh, Hannah a double portion. And as we began to dig into that, that double portion, we began to realize and God began to show us that it wasn't just a double portion of food that he would set before Hannah. He would set portions before Panana and her children. And then he would give Hannah a double portion. And and I use the analogy, uh, if you went and got hamburgers for my family, and I would give everybody in my family a hamburger. But if my wife uh, was not able to bear children, uh, I would give her two hamburgers. I would give her a hamburger for herself. And then I would give her a hamburger for the son or the daughter that she was going to bear that wasn't there yet. I was, I was prophesying and declaring by my actions something that had not happened, something that was out of the realm of possibility on my part. But as I was giving her that double portion, I was declaring that that was not as though that it is. And so uh, Elkanah would give this double portion to Hannah. Well, to make a long story short, Hannah bore a son in his name. She called him Samuel. And so uh, this morning I want to pick up in 1 Samuel chapter 3 about the call of, of Samuel and the call of God Samuel's life. 1 Samuel chapter 3 and verse 1. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord or serving the Lord in the presence of Eli and the word of, of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision at that time. Eli whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see was lying down in his place and the lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. And Then the Lord called Samuel, and he said, Here I am, and ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call. Lie down again. So he went and lay down, and verse 6, and the Lord called again. Samuel. And Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you call me. But he said, I did not call my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. I want you to notice verse 7 and go back up uh, to verse 1, where the word of the Lord was rare in that day and there was no open vision or there was very seldom any revelation from the Lord Samuel did not yet know the Lord and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him verse 8 and the Lord called Samuel again the third time and he arose and went to Eli and said here I am for you call me then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy therefore Eli said to Samuel go lie down and if he calls you you shall say speak Lord for your servant hears and so Samuel went and lay down in his place and the Lord came and stood calling as at other times Samuel Samuel and Samuel said speak for your servant hears and then the Lord said to Samuel behold I am about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. I want you to notice something about verse 11 that, that correlates with verse 1. Verse 1 said there was no, the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision or there was very little vision or revelation that came from the mouth of God. But I want you to look at verse 11, that when God had somebody that responded to his call by saying, here I am, Lord, revelation began to flow. Now, that's not in my message But I want to share, I want to drop that in your spirit. Because some of you today perhaps are saying, God, why are you not speaking and why are you not listening? But perhaps God is saying, why are you not responding? Why are you not saying, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening? You see, so many times we pray for revelation, but God is saying, I have already given you revelation. Use what I have already given you, and when you use that, I'll give you more. We are a revelation junkie generation. We will travel hundreds of miles and spend thousands of dollars to be able to to hear some new revelation. But the revelation that comes from the mouth of God is very well placed. It is not just thrown out. It is specifically targeted for your specific need and for your specific calling. The revelation that God gives is very, in fact, it is very on target. But it does not come until we take that that we've already been given and are faithful with that. Amen. Amen. Father, we thank you today for your word. Now, Lord, this morning, guide us, Holy Spirit, because we acknowledge to you today, Father, that we're just humans. We are just flesh and bones. We are nothing without you, Father. But God, today we confess with everything that is in us that you have put a treasure inside of these earthen vessels. So, Father, today let the beauty and the glory and the worth of the treasure be brought out of us today. God, that man would not see this human vessel, but, God, they would experience the power and the beauty of the treasure that lies on the inside, your Holy Spirit. We thank you. We honor you today in the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. 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 Hallelujah. We sung the song earlier. That God is raising up an army. And I believe that. That God is raising up an army. He is raising up men and women. A generation of men and women. That will hear. And what they hear. They will speak the words of God. And the reason that I believe that God is raising up an army. In this generation. And. And. We use that so much in church that, that God is raising up an army. What, what, is God, what kind of army is God raising up? Listen, can I tell you something about the kingdom of God? You can look down in scripture. And the arm, when I mention army, many of you are visualizing in your eyes and in your mind a multitude of hundreds and hundreds of men and women that are suited up with armor on and that have the weapons of warfare in their hand. That's what we visualize when we say God is raising up an army. But that is contrary to the kingdom of God because when God raises up an army, Gideon, God discounts the thousands that you have at your disposal. God's not really concerned about how many bodies you have in your number. But what God is concerned about is having just a handful of men and a handful of women that will walk with revelation of who God is. Because you see, in the kingdom of God, God doesn't need a thousand. God needs just one. God doesn't need a million-man army. God just needs one man or one woman that knows who they are and that knows who their God is and has had an experience with God that has been down in the valley and has been picked up out of the mire, one that has been down every back road and every dirt road and you've experienced all the downward things, you have experienced the brokenness, you have been crushed, you have been lied on, you have been rejected and all of that but somewhere in the midst of your mess the hand of God reached down to you and picked you up and pulled you out of all the mess that you were in and and God revealed himself to you in a way that you never had it before and so because of that there is nothing that can stop you today. There is nothing that can tell you that God doesn't care anymore. There is nobody that can stand in front of you and convince you today that God is not who he said he was. That is all God needs ladies and gentlemen it's just one body that will have that attitude so quit waiting for the million man march Quit waiting for the million woman march. It won't happen in the squares of Washington, D.C. by the millions of people that are there. But it will happen when one man and one woman gets a vision from God that believes that there is nothing impossible with my God. Listen, if he reached down to me, I am, I am extremely passionate about 1 Samuel chapter 3 because in addition to Isaiah chapter 6, it is those two passages of Scripture that God radically, radically changed my life on. And as far as I can remember, I don't think I preached on 1 Samuel chapter 3 Since the day that God radically changed my life with it, before I ever was licensed to preach, before I was ever uh, in the public eye, God used 1 Samuel chapter 3 to change this old boy's life. If I share it with you, we probably won't get to the rest of it, but I'm going to share it with you because we don't go this way very often. So I want you to know because I'm telling you, God is raising up an army. And some of you here this morning, if there was anybody, if there was anybody today that was, that was least qualified to be anything for God, you say it is you. You say, I am the one that is least qualified to do anything of any good for the kingdom of God. I did good to get out of bed this morning. I did good to get my clothes on this morning and get here. And you're talking about that God wants to use me in his army, that God wants to raise me up. I am the least of all that would be least qualified. I felt the same way. God called me into the ministry and God uh, really, really spoke very plainly to me that I was to go into ministry. That might be awesome to some of you, but when God spoke to me to go into ministry, I had been raised in a pastor's home and I knew what ministry was all about. I had seen my mom and dad go through all the rejection and all the lies that go along with people that speak down toward pastors and things like that. And I said, I will not, I will not drag my family through that. And I refused the call of God. Secondly, I refused the call of God because I did not have the ability to speak in public. I was incredibly shy, incredibly backwards. I didn't speak to people. I didn't talk to people. Not that I disliked you. I just didn't want to talk. Thank you. We've come a long way, baby. But because I was incredibly shy and I didn't say anything, when I would talk, I would mumble at a very, very low tone. And, and because of, of people constantly saying, speak up because I can't hear you, uh, I had over a period of time, I had quit communicating with people. and. And so I was very uh, introverted and very quiet and God called me to preach and I ran for a long time and refused to hear the call of God on over, over my life. And, but I finally committed to that call through Isaiah chapter 6 and I accepted the call that God had on my life uh, as a result of a revelation from Isaiah chapter 6. And uh, God uh, filled me with His Holy Spirit and I was still struggling. I would go places to speak, and I would stand before people to speak, and I would grab the pulpit, and I would hold on to it for dear life. And and uh, I would I would speak everything I had. I would I would shoot both barrels, and then in ten minutes I was ready to go to the house. Some of you said, "Would to God we could go back to that," but. But I would do that, and, and I went for uh, around a year that I would do that, and I would walk out of the service so frustrated because I, I, I knew that I wasn't where I needed to be, and I wasn't hitting where I needed to be. And and I told you the story of uh, Miss Levita Wise up at the old church, sweet little elderly lady that always had a big smile on her face and one Sunday morning, I preached at at McCullough in the old facility, and I got through, man. And I had given it everything I had. I mean, I had just thrown, I had thrown everything I had at them people. And uh, like a uh, at that time, like a good little Baptist preacher, I was standing in the back greeting everybody. I always said all the all the Baptist folks would, would get, repent on Sunday morning and then they would sin again when they walked by the preacher because they would say, we enjoyed that message, it was awesome. And so they would, they would, they would be lying when they went out. And so, so I was standing there in the back and Miss Levita Wise came by and she was smiling, real short lady there, and she looked up at me and she said, Brother Cornelius, she said, I want you to know that was the greatest sermon I've ever heard. That was so good. And then she gave me a big neck hug and turned around to walk off. And she turned back around and she said, uh, Next time, can you speak up? Because I didn't hear a word you said. So that was the definition of my ministry. And that was how I defined myself, that, that, that I was struggling. And, and But I had this experience with God where God baptized me in the Holy Spirit. And, and I knew But being raised where I was raised. I didn't have the lightning bolt and it wasn't any thunder in it. And it wasn't any shaking and rumbling and moving and all that. It was just a gentle move of God's Spirit on my life. So I had to walk in faith with that for a while and then we were called to go to a, a church of God church that I had never been to. And we were asked to come over there and preach that Sunday morning. And it was an old church and the podium stood really up high. And I was looking down on everybody and and I got there that morning and I was scared to death because here I was this this uh Reject Baptist, standing there with all them church of God folks they were they were swinging off the chandeliers and and man, just speaking in tongues and all that, and there I was right in the middle of it, and I wasn't saying a word I was. I was real quiet, cool, and collected and and scared to death. And, And I got up that Sunday morning and walked to the podium and I opened my Bible to 1 Samuel chapter 3. And when I opened my mouth to begin to read this scripture that I read to you this morning, the Holy Ghost come upon me in such a way that the volume of my voice exploded. My back stiffened up. I began to preach like there was a flow of water coming out of my mouth. I couldn't, I couldn't get it out fast enough. It was flowing. And the, the fire of God was moving over my life. And the volume of my voice was so strong that it was to the point that my little wife was sitting down and on the front row. And when it happened in a second, I looked at her and her eyes met and her eyes were about that big around and her mouth dropped open because she had never seen nor heard this young man do what he was doing. And listen, nobody else in that sanctuary knew anything was going on. But she and I were having a, a, a party with God because something had happened. And listen, from that moment on, my life changed. My whole experience with God changed. And, and that revelation of, of God doing that in my life changed my life forever. So it's with passion that I preach this message to you this morning. Can you hear me now? Because sometimes we have trouble hearing God. Sometimes God has been speaking all along, but we're not listening. Listen, during this time, where did time go? During this time, Eli was the priest in Shiloh. That is the place where the ark of God was. That is the place where God had had chosen that place for the ark to dwell. And it it was the epicenter of everything that God was doing in the nation of Israel. It was all centered around that place. The only problem was that Eli and his sons had begun to be or had begun to be disobedient to god Eli's sons' two sons Hopnah and Phineas uh, had begun the Bible says that uh, they uh, were perverted they used their office uh, for selfish gain they they lay with women in the temple uh. Doors and and they perverted the call of God, they compromised the call of God. But here's what I want to focus on: not Eli and uh, not Phineas and and Hopney, but I want to focus on Eli, because Eli uh, is. This is what God spoke to me about him. God spoke to me about the Eli virus, and and it was a virus that had been created in. This, this area of the nation. And the reason that I call it a virus is because a virus uh, can travel through the air. Uh, a virus can travel. You don't see the footprint of it. Uh, the only way you can see the footprint of a virus is that whoever was infected, those around them all of a sudden began to be infected with the same thing. And so I call it the Eli virus because Eli, being the priest, had two sons. And and the Bible says that uh, he kept hearing in verse 22 of 1 Samuel chapter 2. He kept hearing all the things that his sons were doing to Israel and how they lay with women who were serving at the entrance to the tent of meeting. He kept hearing about it but he never did anything about it. In other words, he knew what was going on, but he never did anything about it. All right? Can I tell you something this morning? If God reveals the work of the enemy to you and you don't do anything about it, get ready because the enemy's work Will get stronger and stronger. But the Bible says, on down in chapter 2 of verse 29, that a prophet came and spoke to Eli. And he said, Why do you scorn or why do you kick at my sacrifices and my offerings that I command for my dwelling? And he said, And why do you honor your sons above? Me by fattening yourselves on the choicest parts of every offering. This Eli virus that I'm referring to it as was that God saw Eli and he said, You are honoring your sons above me, you are allowing them to dishonor me. Listen. And we can talk about that a lot, but the bottom line is that Eli was tolerant of what God hated. Eli was tolerant of the things that God disliked. He was tolerant of things that dishonored God. Listen, in Ezekiel chapter 33, Ezekiel receives a word from God. And it is a word that is a warning to the watchman. And he talks about the watchman that, that is responsible for standing on the wall, that is responsible for standing at the gates of the city and watching and being uh, 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 watchful of the things that come, so that when an enemy comes, the, the responsibility of the watchman, Ezekiel said, uh, was to cry out and to warn those that uh, were in the city of danger that was approaching. And, and listen, I want to tell you something this morning. Mom and Dad, God has called you to be a watchman for your family. God has called you, sir, to be a watchman, that when you observe something of danger that could harm your children, a watchman will stand up and say, hey, I want to tell you there's an enemy that is approaching. There's an enemy that's coming, and I want to tell you, I want to warn you, be ready. And so I stand this morning, and I stand as a watchman, uh, and I want to warn you today that, that we are enjoying right now. We're enjoying an economy that is higher, that is better than it's been in years. We're seeing prosperity today like we've never seen it before. And we're enjoying uh, the blessings and the fruits of, of a nation that, that is very prosperous right now. But can I tell you something this morning? There's some things that are building up under what we cannot see that are dangerous and I want to warn you today the reason that God is raising up an army is not so that you can stand and, and gloat and stand and 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 uh, show your wares to everybody about how bad you are but God is raising up an army that can stand and fight against what we're not seeing today because there's a there's a there's listen there's an enemy that is lurking up under what we're not seeing and God saying I see it but I'm warning you to rise up watchman thank you for two or three amens there God sent a prophet to warn Eli and to tell him that judgment was coming Listen, we're seeing a devaluing of standards, not just beginning, but it's gone been going on that we've devalued standards today. That's the reason this morning that the standards of our nation are so at an all-time low. That's the reason today that in uh, in uh, certain states that that uh, babies that are being born and I was thinking about this the other day when uh, Ellis James was born uh, that there are many states today that that won't even allow you to put a gender on a birth certificate anymore because they want the baby to grow up to be able to determine what gender they want to be. Listen, we are going, uh, we are in a bad place in our nation, in the midst of our prosperity. Listen, it's time for the church to begin to rise up. Listen, God is saying, rise up, church. And I know, I know this is a little bit different this morning. This is a different message. It's more like a message that maybe you would hear from from somebody on national television. Why am I preaching it uh, to this little spot in the middle of a cotton field in McCullough Christian Center? Because of what I said earlier, God doesn't need a million-man army to change a nation. He just needs one person that will rise up and believe who he is and be obedient. So I tell you, sir, quit looking for a prophet that will prophesy to your family of change that's going to happen. Quit waiting on somebody uh, to write a book that will give you the three steps to victory. God is saying this morning that I'm giving it to you. The hope is in your house. The answer is in your house. Rise up and know who you are this morning. and it was a culture in chaos it was a culture in in disarray it's a culture that said not what I can do for God but what I can get from God so the Lord spoke to me this morning on this subject he said we have removed the umpire from the game Now everyone just gets a participation trophy. We don't have anybody umpiring anymore. It's just participate if you want to, like you want to, when you want to, and you'll get a trophy. Listen, Eli had allowed his sons to continue in this process and it had begun to affect the nation of Israel. It had begun to affect every area of society. The Bible says in Romans chapter one and verse 21, it says this, "For although or before I say that, let me say this. In Romans 1 and verse 16, Paul said this. He said, "I am not ashamed of the gospel." He said, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to salvation to the Jew first and to the Greek. And then he went right from there into this. In verse 21, he said, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. That's the culture that we're in today. And the reason that I'm saying what I'm saying is this. Many people's calling and many people's gift that God has given them, many people's specific thing that God has placed in your life to impact your family and to impact your surroundings has been subjected to the culture and has gone through the filter of culture, and it has become ineffective. It has become ineffective in the kingdom of God. And what God is doing today is saying, I want to refilter the call that I've given you. I want to refilter the gift that I've given you. And I want you to cut culture out of it and see what I'm wanting to do in your life. see because because of the power and the influence of culture that we're surrounded by today everything that god speaks if we're not careful it will flow through that filter That is the reason that we're seeing today so much compromise in church is because our seminaries have become cemeteries because they are killing the anointing of God. I'm not anti-seminary. I believe you need education. You need to get all you can get. But if you don't use it for the right reason, right purpose, it becomes detrimental. But our seminaries are turning out men and women many times that have been so filtered by the culture that they are ineffective in walking in the anointing. I don't care how smart you are, and I don't care how educated you are, without the anointing, You are powerless. You can say you're old-fashioned. You can say you're backwoods brother are you a hillbilly from the hills or whatever you want to call me but when it comes to the kingdom of God the kingdom of God is about the power and the anointing of God's spirit working in somebody's life he doesn't work from the outside in he works from the inside out he changes you from the inside out God will radically take anybody that is available and raise them up and change their lives because if you look in the book of Hebrews chapter 11 you'll see that there were murderers there there was adulterers there there was all kind there was all kinds of people but God raised them up and he did a work from the inside out and he used them to affect a generation and more than that many of them affected a future their future generations to come, we're still being affected by that. So you've got to understand this morning about the power of the culture and the, and the battle. Listen, in Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4 and verse 17. I want to pick up kind of right in the middle of this story because it's it's right after Pentecost. And, and Peter and John have healed the man at the gate. Beautiful, you know the story. And, and God did a miracle there. And, and because of that miracle, the Bible says that they had, they had taken Peter and John, and, uh, or, or Peter, and, and they were uh, questioning them and all that. And the Bible says that in chapter 4 and verse 17, that Peter and them are standing before the council, Peter and John, And they're being reprimanded uh, because they're preaching in the name of Jesus. And they said in verse 17, but in order, talking to Peter and John, that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. Sound familiar? So they called them, Peter and John, and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Can you hear me now? Listen, you don't know how blessed you are to live where you live. You don't know how blessed you are if you've got children that go... To J.U. Blackshire School or some of these other schools around here, Huxford Elementary, where Jesus' name is freely mentioned. You don't know how blessed you are. <clears throat> I know the man at J.U. Blackshire. I ain't going to call his name, but I know him. You need to thank God for him. All right? We got some, some, some staff here from these schools that teachers that, that pray with their students, that, that love on their students, and you need to thank God for them. Where did that, where did that come from? I don't know. I got, I got on a rabbit trail. All right, but I just but listen, they said to Peter and John, "Don't talk about Jesus. Don't talk about Jesus. It is amazing to me that that atheist will rise up against Christianity. You need to get rid of the cross. The ACLU, destroy the cross. Take down the Ten Commandments and all that. But yet, you never hear any of them say anything about Disney and and about uh, the princes and the princesses and all that. Why? Because that's not real. But why do they so hard hit Christianity? If there's not a God, why do you want to get rid of him so bad? If there's not a God, why do you want to take down the cross that resembles or represents uh, where he died? If there's not a Savior, why do you? I'm on a rabbit trail. I'm coming back to the heart of the message. But don't speak in the name of Jesus. But here, guys, Here's where we're going to transition, and I'm, I'm afraid I'm going to have to stop here because we don't have time to go into what el- what the other part that I wanted, the main part that I wanted to get to this morning. So this is our transition. Here is a group of people that more than likely sat in church or a synagogue on every Sabbath day. But yet they're speaking to somebody that is also a Christian, Peter and John. And they're saying, don't speak in the name of Jesus anymore. So what we're seeing here is this transition from being dominated and controlled by a culture that says we don't want to hear about Jesus We don't want to hear about the gospel. We don't want to hear about whether or not you disagree. If you don't agree with us, then keep your mouth shut. All right? Long as you flow with us, everything is good. But if you don't agree, then we don't want to hear what you've got to say. And we will label you a racist We will label you a bigot. We will label you all kind of things simply because you don't agree with us. But there's got to be a transition there somewhere, ladies and gentlemen. There's got to be a place where men and women of God, in a loving manner, listen, God didn't call you to take your King James version or your ESV version and beat somebody over the head. God called you to love people, to encourage them. It is our responsibility to restore people and love people. So I'm not giving you a license today to take your Bible out and beat somebody over the head with it. Listen, you can speak correction to people without beating them down. But there's got to be a place where somebody, where we will rise up and say, you know what? I've got something inside of me that's greater than what I'm dealing with in this world. I've got a power inside of me that is greater. And get the attitude like Peter had in verse 19 where it says this, But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot, everybody say cannot. We cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Here's the thing, guys. Peter and John recognized that there was a force that was coming against them at the very beginning of the New Testament church. There was forces that were coming against them to quiet and to shut down the voice of God from speaking. And what we're dealing with in our culture today is an Eli generation, a virus that that has come from an Eli mindset that is said accept everything that goes on listen Eli's problem was he tolerated everything that come along and I told you the other day and I'm fixing to close uh, worship team you guys come but I told you the other day and here's the danger and and, uh, we're not going to get to the to the other part but Here's the thing that I want you to understand: is that in this culture, ladies and gentlemen, Eli still put on the priestly robes. Eli still got up every morning and went about doing the daily ritual and routine of the priest. Hophni and Phinehas, in the midst of all their perversion, continued to do what their duties were in the temple. What we have got to be aware of is this that it is easy for us to lose the relationship with God but still go through the motions of serving God. And the result of that is a dead, dry, powerless place of worship. See, our, my danger when I was years ago, the danger for me was I had been raised in church. I had a drug problem. They drug me to church every time the door was open. And the danger for me was that I knew when they started singing victory in Jesus, Sister So-and-So was going to sing, "Yeah. Oh Jesus!" And I knew that when she did that, brother So-and-so over here was going to stand up and start dancing. And I knew that when that happened, that was it. Take it to the house. I knew how to do church. I knew how to raise my hand and make everybody around me think that I was under the anointing. I knew when to say amen. And I knew when to praise the Lord because I had been raised in it. And it was in my DNA. I knew how to do it. But what I realized was this. The revelation came to me that all of my motions and all of my emotions were void of the presence of God. And without the presence of God is the reason that even though I would go to church on Sunday, I would live like the devil Monday through Saturday because I had no power to control the demons that were on the inside of my heart because I had not yet had contact with the power of God. But when I made contact with the power of God, God dealt with the demons on the inside of me and God changed my life it wasn't about the emotion anymore it wasn't about uh, the jumping up and down anymore it wasn't about the tongue talking it wasn't about all that stuff anymore but it was about a relationship with a Savior that had redeemed and restored my life and I want to say this this morning and please, please don't take this the wrong way But I'm speaking to an individual this morning. I just described you. I just described who you are. I just described your life. You know how to do church, you know how to make it look good, you know how to dress right. And I'm not even going to look up saying this because I don't want nobody saying, oh, you're talking to me. I know I'm talking to somebody this morning. You know how to do it. You know how to make it happen. But you are void of a relationship with God. And you wonder why nothing in your life is working out right. You wonder why there is so much turmoil that's going on around you. You wonder why your relationship with your husband or your wife is in such a mess because you are trying to do it on the outside but you're void of that most precious thing on the inside. God is saying today that I want to do an inside work in your life that I'm calling you uh, to come to me and commit yourself to me and let me work on the inside of you and deal with the demons of hell that are trying to destroy destroy you on the inside. God said, this day I have brought you here and I've spoken this word into your life. If you will hear and obey, it will be life-giving to you. It will be joy to your life and restoration to you. See, God is raising up people today that are going to bring judgment against an Eli generation. So please understand this message this morning because I've kind of laid the groundwork. And, and if, you, if you live through this message, if you survive this message and you haven't thrown your Bible at me, you haven't thrown your purse at me, you haven't tried to zap me with your taser, then I promise you the rest of it is going to be good. I promise you the rest of it is going to be life-giving because God is raising you up. Can I tell you something this morning? You might be an Eli. You might be an Eli here this morning. But aren't you glad for grace? Aren't you glad for grace? Because I think all of us have A tad of Eli in us. I think all of us at one time or another have compromised and we've tolerated things that we shouldn't have. So I want to ask you this morning are you ready for a change? Are you ready this morning? to transition into a place like Peter and John said listen speaking to culture you you do what you want to do but I can't help myself I have got to preach I have got to talk about Jesus you might not like me You might write me off. You might discredit me and all of that, but I cannot help myself. Look at your neighbor and say, I just can't help myself. Brother Walter, it's like when Jesus has done so much and he's been so good, can't help myself I know you might not want to hear what I've got to say I know brother Carl they might not like what you're going to say but I cannot help myself because if he has been to you what he has been to me how could I ever be quiet about such a redeemer such a savior How could I ever close my eyes and turn my face away from things that are destroying my culture, that are destroying my people, things that are destroying my children? How can I ever be quiet about it if you had known Jesus like I met him? If you had ever been down the road and fallen off of your horse and recognized the light of the gospel when it came into your life, how could I ever... Keep quiet about him. So here's what I want you to do this morning. I believe God's calling an army. And it's not an army of a million, like I said earlier, but it's just an army of of one person. Maybe one person where you are, where God has placed you, an army going to ask you this morning if you say God I'm available here I am here I am I'm listening if that's you this morning and you say pastor I hear you I hear what you're saying it might be a it might be a soldier in your home be a soldier on your job I don't know. I hear what you're saying, Pastor. I'm going to ask you to do just a little bit different this morning. And some of you might stand, and you might stand today and stand in the face of hell. But if you're willing this morning to say, God, I'm signing up, I hear what you're saying, I'm available. Would you stand with me, please?